Welcome to the June edition of Voices of Experience. I'm your host, Camille Valvo, and we're brought to you by the National Speakers Association. I bet you didn't know there are over 21 tribes in Arizona, some more than 2,000 years old. Our tribe isn't that old, but we are enthusiastically gathering for our annual powwow in Phoenix next month. So let me ask you, will we see you there? Gleaning fresh content, ideas, and inspiration from your tribal elders? Well, to tide you over till then, let's move on with the real deal this month highlighting coaching and consulting. CSP CMC. Welcome. Thank you very much. Tell us a little bit about how you began your career and where you started and where you find yourself today. A friend asked me if I would like to go to an NSA convention. So you really started your professional career as a consultant. I, I, that was the first, but, right. but it was right on the same time of this invitation to an NSA convention, and that was the one in San Francisco. And I, again, I had just finished my degree, so the timing was, was simultaneous. This friend said, you know, why don't you come? His name was Peter Turlon. He's still in NSA. He lives in Texas, and I was in California at the time. And he said, come to this convention. I said, well, what's NSA? And he said, well, I think you'll like it. And so I came to NSA, and I met a gentleman there who was looking for a female with a Ph.D. who, who would write a seminar on leadership skills for women and take it around the country. And that man hired me at that first convention I attended. Mm. So that launched my speaking career at the same time my consulting. So it was simultaneous. Then when did you begin executive coaching? That has come actually quite recent. Mm -hmm. So I I continued to do um, speaking and consulting and training. And because my niche has been conflict mediation and conflict management in my training, you know, as when I trained as a psychologist, that was in the, you know, a lot of work in conflict. That gained me a reputation to work with difficult groups and difficult people. And then as people heard me speak on it, they'd say, can you come and work with my difficult person? I actually considered it counseling, you know, kind of corporate counseling. And so I would work with their difficult people. That was way before, so I've been doing it 20 years, so it was way before there was the word coaching, other than uh, you know on the football field, <laughs> so or you know in sports, but it was a very focused, different kind of coaching, and I think it, you know it really was more coaching than counseling. But we didn't have a word for it then. Do you actively market the coaching side of your business, or is most of the business that comes to mm-hmm. you through referrals and repeat business? It is. Yeah, I think it's a, it's the last time I count is like eighty two percent is repeat. But again, people. Because of the kind of business I do, they might call me for a project, and then they might not call me for a year or two. And then when they have more conflict, then they'll call again. So there is that certain percent, and then the rest is referral and, a, and some off the website. But it's, it's mostly the, the word-of-mouth referral because I think because of the niche of the conflict, because it's, you know, it's a very personal thing. People get into conflict. What are some of the advantages that you've enjoyed or that you see to having these different service offerings? Well, there, there are many things, but, but one thing that comes to mind is I, I just love challenge, you know, and I, uh, I mean, I thrive on conflict, so what can I say? You know, I mean, I like challenge. I, I like to do analytical thinking. I like to diagnose things. People have asked many times, you know, 
would you prefer to just do speaking or would you prefer just to do management consulting? And I love the range and variety, but it's not for everybody. I think some people aren't comfortable in the various venues. And I've just found a way because I've niched my skill, not the industry, I've niched the skill, that skill can translate into a speech on conflict, into actually mediating conflict, into working with teams in conflict, into doing coaching. So I, I think I was lucky in that way. That skill can, can actually be used in all those areas. So you can choose which of those ways of delivering your expertise best serves your client. Exactly. If they even call with a conflict, they call because usually I'm called when there's trouble. You know, so unless it's a keynote and they want to have that topic. But usually for the consulting, there are dysfunctions or problems. So when they call, what's worked well is I'll say, you know what? They'll say, can you fix it? They'll tell me, they won't talk for quite a while, tell me the situation. I'll say, you know, if you can invest in a half a day or one day of my time to come and assess, and here's what I would do in assessing. I can tell you what's involved. I can give you some ideas. I can give you a roadmap. But unless I meet the people and I talk to them, I can't really give you an answer. So what I do is I just really am selling them a, just something quite reasonable in a sense is a half a day or a day. And then I'll say, I'll give you some possibilities. And then that's where I assess what do they need. Is it actual mediation and, and bringing different parties together? Sometimes the person who hired me is the problem. <laughs> so maybe I say, you know, if I could just work with you one-on-one... I think I could give you some ideas that would help you get through this. So sometimes it's a group process, sometimes it's an individual coaching process, or I might say, you know, I think this what would really be great is to do an all-hands meeting and let me kick it off with a, a speech that gets people excited about learning various styles or something, communication tips, and then we can roll out some training in the teams. Or So, you know, I don't know what it's going to be, and I think that's... To me, that makes it really, makes it fun, makes it different. I really feel I can serve the client because, I, and I'm not going to tell him what he needs, you know, until I assess. What kinds of questions uh, should speakers be asking themselves if they want to either transition to coaching or consulting or just add them to their portfolio of services? What kind of things should they be thinking about? Well, the various services aren't for everybody. I think in management consulting, it, there are very different skills and competencies that one needs in coaching. So I think those are very, very different. I was asked in a, this in a session that, that I did in a breakout session at the conference. I almost think that the executive coaching is a little bit easier to move into and less risky than going saying, claiming you're a consultant, because there are many more complexities, I think, to consulting. And it's higher risk because you're really consulting for the good of the organization. When you're coaching, it's one person. And you've got to see, are you a good match for that person? So for the executive coaching, I think the questions to ask oneself is, do I have skills and competencies that are transferable to that? Some of them being Am I really able to park my ego and be neutral, be a very neutral, more kind of, when you coach, you're more of a facilitator. So can I be really neutral, park my ego, park my expertise, and really ask the right questions and listen to this person, and then through questioning and listening, you know, guiding them in, you know, in their own growth, in their own development. Am I good? Do I have good assessment skills? Because I think we have to also assess where is that person and what do they need and help them see that. 
So that's really key. Do you have those kind of things in your repertoire? And another thing I have found over trial and error and finding you know people that I've been matched with that it's not a good fit and then why are others really a good fit? I have found that I've become much more effective at coaching the more I'm aware of my own stuff. The more I'm aware of where my strengths are, where I'm acutely aware of where my own weaknesses are, where my own biases and where my own my filters are so that I can really be a good observer and step back and not let all let any of my personal stuff project on this person and that I'm really helping them get their outcome and I don't have an expectation for my outcome. So I think there are a lot of skills involved and there are a lot of different kinds of coaching. How I'm positioned is Companies like Johnson & Johnson, etc., screen people like me uh, who have the qualifications that they want, and then we're put into a pool of resources. And so when there's a request for someone to have a coach, an executive coach, they'll screen it down to what they think is a good match, two or three. You get interviewed by that executive, and then he or she chooses you know, who they like to work with. And, and it's, I, I love being part of these, these talent pools, if you will, of mm -hmm. coaches. And it's really gotten to a whole other sophisticated level. I think it's very mm -hmm. competitive. And how do you get into that talent pool? How do you get to the point where you're one among the many to be screened and interviewed and things? I got there through speaking. <laughs> so, you know, go, you know, kind of the, the circle there. Because I live in Silicon Valley, there are many, many networks and associations. And so every night of the week, there's some association meeting of the this kind of computer engineer or this kind of scientist or specialist. And, and I do, when I feel like I need more business, I just call up, call these people, you know, I look in the paper, I look for these these networks, I go and offer to speak for free, but I'm speaking to groups of managers who work for these large companies. And I found out maybe, thinking maybe seven or eight years ago, that there were these talent pools of screened executive coaches. But I've gotten all those, you know, most of, the, well, most of those connections through speaking and people hear me and when I talk about conflict management, of course, team, functional, dysfunctional teams, etc., then they've turned my name in. I've also had referrals from other NSA members who do something very different than I do. So they work for these companies, and maybe they do presentation skills, and then they start working with someone who really needs coaching, and then they'll mention to their contact, well, Marilyn Manning does coaching, executive coaching, so I've had very nice referrals from other NSA members who do offer a different service. So that's been another way um, of getting into the corporations. What advice would you give speakers on how to position their expertise as a consultant or a coach? That's a tough one because it so depends on the industry that you want to be a consultant to or a coach. Mm -hmm. So I think one is, do you have industry expertise? And, and then that would position that. And I have done lots of free things in order to gain some credibility in, in that industry or that area. I have found a good percent of my clients have PhDs or at minimum master's degrees. Mm -hmm. So I have to say having a PhD has been a, a very worthwhile credential. And even the job at GE that I had right out of graduate school, they only hired PhDs for that particular two-year project. If you have a degree, then you know how do you how you best use that. I also think there's a big push right now in coaching and consulting on assessment tools. So getting certified to use assessment tools that are recognized. 
if say if you're going to target someone like Johnson and Johnson or Chevron or whatever, you know, what are they using in that company? So you know, don't just pick anyone off the street, but find out what's what are credible instruments, and that's another way of adding to your tool kit. I think just really zero in on what are your top credentials that you could use. Well, Dr. Marilyn Manning, thank you very much for those insights. Thank you very much for inviting me. Are you ready to experience Phoenix in July? Expect hot, 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 muy caliente at the Foundation Fiesta. We will dazzle you with a hip-shaking, feet-tapping, and conga-moving music and dance ensemble by the name of Floripiedra and the Lirritmo Latino. We will help you get into the rhythm of the night. Come prepared to mix and mingle with your fellow NSA members and experience a spicy dance lesson or two. The Foundation Fiesta is Sunday, July 19th from 6 to 10 p.m. Registration is separate at nsaconvention.org. And remember, the Foundation Fiesta is muy caliente. Craig Rispin, certified speaking professional, is an expert in the field of future trends. In his final segment... He talks about the apple of his eye. Get the pun? I don't usually focus on one product or technology, but I'm going to break my rule this time because I think this gadget is so important that it's a big game changer for speakers and road warriors. I bet you already know what I'm going to say. It's called the iPhone. Now, if you already have an iPhone, I've got some great ways for you to use your iPhone in your speaking business. If you don't have one, then I think I've got 20 reasons why you might think about moving over to an iPhone. You see, the iPhone is really just a mobile cell phone, an iPod, a web browser, and a pocket computer all in one. And for speakers, it's a great tool to sell yourself, organize yourself, and to be more productive. Why not use your iPhone's iPod capabilities to sell yourself? It's got a gorgeous screen and fairly decent speakers. Just convert your demo video into the iPhone format to be ready to show it off anytime, anywhere. On the PC, try the program One-Click iPhone Video Converter, and on the Mac, you can use a program called Handbrake. Testimonial videos are an awesome selling tool. Don't forget to put those onto your iPhone, too. You can also demo your audio products, show off your book covers as photos, or even convert your entire book's contents into PDF to demonstrate to your clients. And of course, you can log on and demonstrate your website. There are lots of sales management software applications known as apps for the iPhone, too. But if you use eSpeakers.com, Salesforce.com, or SugarCRM.com, they can all be run on your iPhone just through a web browser. All you need is a Wi-Fi or a 3G signal available. Don't forget you can email instantly all the info the client might need right from your iPhone. Don't bother pulling out your laptop. And when it's time for your briefing conference call, find out all sorts of information about your client right before the call using the Bloomberg app. And the LinkedIn.com app can show you the executives at your client's company that you might have a personal connection to. The Google iPhone app has a news button so you can see if your clients have been in the news lately. And did I forget to mention the Google app has voice search? It's like having a Google brain in your pocket. Now you're heading out the door to the speaking job. Do you have all your briefing notes with you? Use the app called Air Sharing, and you can drop all your documents onto your iPhone wirelessly from your office Wi-Fi network. PDFs, Office documents, and Apple's iWork files can be saved and viewed later. You can even save web pages. Yes, of course, paper is good, but this is a great backup. 
I found that any documents with barcodes, including some boarding passes and membership cards, scan fine off your iPhone. Recently in the back of the cab, I used my iPhone to log on to Virgin's website to change a flight. Virgin emailed me the new confirmation as a PDF, and the barcode scanned perfectly at check-in straight off my iPhone. Don't forget to check your flight departure times. Just use Google's voice search for that, or you can use flightstats.com for more detailed information, including weather delay reports. The iPhone's built-in GPS and Google Maps will ensure your taxi driver isn't taking the long way to your hotel. Google Maps has a beautiful full-screen street view so you can check out what the front of the hotel or venue looks like before you arrive. When you arrive at the job, you might want to turn your iPhone into a remote for your slideshow. Apple has an app to remote control keynote slides, and there are other apps to remote control PowerPoint on your PC as well. Some let you see the upcoming slide on the iPhone and highlight slides with a virtual pointer just by dragging your finger around. When you're done with your speech, you're probably going to get lots of compliments. Use the iPhone as a voice recorder to capture testimonials from audience members. Download the recorder that allows you to transfer the recordings back to your PC or a Macintosh. You can find lots of them in the iTunes store. Use the built-in camera to snap a picture of the person that gave you the testimonial so you can upload them both to your website afterwards. Now it's time for dinner. Use the Urban Spoon, or Yelp, that's Y-E-L-P app, to recommend great restaurants within walking distance. Next, it's time to track your expenses. There are great iPhone apps to help you with this. Some use the camera to take pictures and will save copies of your receipts. While traveling back to the airport, you can catch up on your professional development. Listen to VOE, the NSA convention recordings, or one of the 50,000 audiobooks available at audible.com. That's A-U-D-I-B-L-E.com. Why not subscribe to a podcast on your favorite subject, say leadership, change, sales, or diversity? There are literally thousands to choose from. A few of my favorite podcasts are TED Talks from TED.com, Geek Brief TV with Callie Lewis, and any of the podcasts over at This Week in Technology, that's twit, T-W-I-T TV. The iPhone has been the best professional development gadget I've ever had, and lots of other speakers have told me the same thing. So there's 20 ways to use your iPhone to help you sell yourself, organize your business, and develop your mind. Give them a try and see if the iPhone isn't a game changer in your speaking business. Hi, this is Ron Carr. Today we're here with Pam Lantos, president of PRPR a public relations firm that specializes in speakers, authors, and experts. And Pam is the author of I See Your Name Everywhere, Leverage the Power of the Media to Grow Your Fame. Welcome, Pam, to VOE. Thank you, Ron. Pam, I understand that in public relations, social media marketing is a new frontier. Can you please tell us a little bit more about this? Well, the reason it's the new frontier is that so many people are using it. In fact, Right now, more people are using social media to move ahead of personal email as the most popular online activity. So it's important as a speaker for you to get your name everywhere and to get your name out there. So when someone wants your products or wants to hire you as a speaker, they know you. Well, how is this different from social networking? Well, with social networking, you're creating friends and contacts and networking like you're at a party. But with social media, you're actually branding yourself, getting the same message over and over in a single 24-hour period all over the Internet with short microblogs to create instant buzz and get that branding to get you more business. 
So are you saying that if we are going to use social media marketing, we should be talking more about issues that are branding our business versus personal issues such as, I just left for dinner? Well, you want to have two different uh, sites. Like if you're on Facebook, you know, you want to have, for example, on Facebook, two different, a personal one and a business one. So the personal one, you can say, I'm having a great dinner at a fabulous restaurant. I just watched this great television show. Your friends can respond to you. But for the business one, don't put anything on the business one that you don't want your top clients to see because they will find it. And that goes also for the personal, but you should have two different accounts. Now, we talk about um, sending messages and hoping that they become viral. Can you explain that concept to us? Well, viral is an interesting concept because it's just like having the virus or a cold. You know, you get a cold, you give it to your, you know, your friends and your coworkers, and then they pass it on to their families. And that's what happens with your message on the Internet. You pass it on to the people that you have contact with. And when you do it right, social media, then they will start, your friends and contacts will start passing it on to other people. And so it just keeps going and going until you can reach thousands of people in an instant. I remember watching The Apprentice this week, and it was all about creating a viral message. What are the elements for creating a viral message? I mean, what are the do's and don'ts? Should we advertise about our business, not talk about ourselves? What do you suggest? Well, you know, you, when you do your message for business, you want to make it interesting. So, you know, going to a restaurant or things your friends are interested in, your, your business contacts aren't interested. They're looking for useful, valuable fun and interesting information and it's only 140 characters for twitter and some of the others so you you want to do that 140 characters of space and letters so it's a quick sound bite it's solving a problem and giving them tips they can use so make it interesting and an example is aaron chronister it was just in usa today the other day did tips on barbecue and grilling and he had someone retweet it, which means that someone forwarded his message to their friends, which got forwarded to their friends on Twitter. And he ended up getting media attention from people at CNN and the New York Times that saw it and got a book deal with Simon & Schuster. So you wow. don't make it an ad and you do not make it a commercial. It's 100% about them and 0% about you, except for putting your website at the end. Well, tell us, in the short time that we have left, you know, if... Um I guess speakers can be put in two categories, those who are doing social networking but po could probably do it better, and those who probably need to get into the game. What do we do as a speaker? How do we start it, and how do we do it better? What's involved? Well, what a speaker needs to do is look, what is the message that their customers want? What do their clients want? And then hone that down to several microblogs that are the 140 characters. So what problems are you getting right now that you're clients need. It could be, if, you know, someone has a cookbook, it could be recipes, sales tips in your case, Ron. It could be all kinds of different tips that people want. You know, so what are, what are your customers looking for? When you get valuable tips, they pass it on. And that's what keeps happening. And then meeting planners are looking for people that have this kind of expertise. So when they start seeing your tips coming on, you, get, you create that top of mind awareness, which makes you a celebrity. And there are probably lots of sites we could be on, right? You've got uh, LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook. Tell us about some more. Well, there's thousands of sites. There's, you know, as you said, LinkedIn, Twitter, Plasco, Cafe Mom, Delicious, Dig. And what you have to do is research what 
sites are the very best for you? Where does your market go? Not only for business, but for fun things that they do. And those are the sites you need to be on, and you need to post a message on those sites at least every other day. If I'm a speaker, which I am, and I'm traveling a lot, which I am, I listen to you and I say, but who's got the time to do all this on a consistent basis? Do I do it myself? Do I delegate it? Do I outsource? Help me with that. Well, the important thing is that it's your content. You know, because people that do it really spend at least an hour a day, maybe five to 14 hours a week. So you need to give someone, if you don't want to do it yourself, your content that they can write those short sound bites and they can put them in so you approve them but it comes from your material and then they can post them on several different sites every other day. Okay, and is it your belief that if uh, a speaker is not using social media marketing that they are not having an effective PR campaign? Well, nowadays you still need to do the you know articles and get interviews and be in print because that gives you credibility that keeps your name out there so people will follow you even more. But if you're not doing social media, then your competition is going to get ahead of you. And if your competition gets ahead of you, you know, you're, you're, it's going to be hard getting it back. So you need to be on social media all the time so that people think of you first when they're looking for a speaker. Well, if we look at the example you gave us earlier about that individual who got a book contract out of the social media, I guess this is worth our while. Well, Pam, thank you so much. This is a lot of useful information. And I guess if any of the listeners wanted to get some assistance from you, they can reach you at prpr.net. Thank you, Pam. Thank you, Ron. My Take 10 with Camille segment has seen me travel the globe, picking the brains of our industry's experts. This month, I'm off to Canada. A former CAPS president with 15 years in the business, please welcome certified speaking professional Valerie Cade. Welcome to Voices of Experience, Valerie. Glad to be here. So, Take 10 with Camille. Here we go. A product that made a difference to you or your business. The best product that I have come across in 15 years is Million Dollar Consulting by Alan Weiss. Rhymes with ice. (laughs) And his tagline is the professional's guide to growing a practice. So as speakers, for lack of a better term, I believe we must think of ourselves as problem solvers. And so my question would be, what specific problem are you solving? And the consulting side of speaking involves problem-solving skills in order to position yourself as the go-to solution for inspiration or information. And I think implementation is key or any combination of the three. Excellent. That is a great resource. I've heard many other speakers mention that. So thanks for sharing that. A platform tip that has worked for you in the past? Well, seriously, uh, the best platform tip for me is preparedness. I think of all the speeches I've given, and maybe you think back on some of them as well, and when I've not done well, I have not prepared well. And so chance favors the prepared mind. And I got to a place a while ago where I was winging it in some things, and I thought that that meant that I had arrived and I could enjoy the journey a little bit better. But funny, after the speech, it's how you feel after that matters. And I didn't feel as good about myself. The audience may not have known. So I experimented. I went back to the very beginning again, and I got out my old notes. And, uh, you know, the last shall be first, the first shall be last. 
And I experimented in seeing what I could do to be world-class in each presentation. And things like a routine before I speak, which involves listening to my favorite music so my heart is open, meeting people so that I get a feel for what's happening. And the third thing would be protecting the two to three minutes of time by myself before I speak to make sure that I'm really connected. Another tip then, a marketing tip perhaps that's worked well for you. Okay. Well, if you've had success with a client from beginning to end, why not document each step from the beginning to the end, from being hired to helping them make a decision to your follow-up after and do a case study. Potential clients can read through this case study and they can see ahead as to what they might experience with you. Now, this will force you to have to answer the question, what problem do I solve? And if you can identify that throughout the case study and actually show from your client's point of view that you solved it, it might align nicely with a potential client. And I guess I want to say lastly, if you can get that on video, not right away, but one or two of them on video, I think that third-party referral from beginning to end, showing that you also support, um, you document well, you deliver well, you follow through, etc., those are secondary things that we must have in our toolkit to remain competitive. Uh, the speech is the standard. The rest is what keeps us in the forefront. In hindsight, Valerie, what do you wish you would have known about the business before you got in? For me, not running public programs. I don't know. I just seem to fall in love with potential. I used to think that I could actually fill a room. And what I have found is, in my case, no one would seem to own the job. So I'm not interested in selling seats. I'm more interested in getting prepared to deliver a world-class presentation. And I'm not saying that this can't work. I think where it can work is when you have a significant database, perhaps a sponsor, some excellent momentum, media attention. But for most of us, getting people to actually commit to coming to something where they could change their mind at the last minute, it's a variable. So I keep making this mistake. And I, I have told everyone in my office to remind me once again when I fall in love with that potential to say, Val, remember the past. So for me, it was not doing public programs. Yeah, great to have those little voices to remind you, isn't it? <laughs> and don't turn them off. <laughs> yes, that's right. All right. How about your next product? What are you up to? Well, what I've realized is I, uh, I get lonely in this business, and maybe others do as well. We travel alone. We speak alone. And I love the fact that when we go to conventions, we can connect. But then we go back alone, and we present alone. We, you know, develop alone. So I thought, well, what am I the best in the world at? And I decided what that was. And like Joe Calloway said, picked a lane. And then I looked at, well, what are the clients that I serve? What are their problems? And I would maybe solve one or two of the problems, but gosh, if I could just solve the sales problem as well, we could unify some speakers together and come in as a united front and be an all-stop shop, one-stop shop. So I've aligned myself with three or four other speakers, and we know exactly what each of us does and what we don't do. And now we've moved forward and we started world-class credit unions. And... Now I feel very confident in providing a full solution and I'm having a great time. And that's great, but it's just following through with our 
competency of professional relationships and and looking forward. I think that's a great idea. Well, is that part of the answer to perhaps my last question for you? What do you think is the biggest challenge for speakers in the future? I think it's worth everyone's time to take whatever time it takes to get very clear on what problem you solve. I thought I knew, and I was winging it. And then when I realized, I actually believe I solved two problems in there in two separate markets. Um, I wrote a book on bully-free at work just as something to do. And I realized that's grown into a huge market for myself. But it doesn't mean I can't be in another market. And so when I actually put pen to paper and wrote out the problems I solve, I'm finding that I will say no to speeches, that I can't nail it. And I will then have the tenacity and energy available to actually position myself to solve problems in the target market that I want to be in. And I guess, you know, how do we get people to buy right now? I think a lot of clients are hesitant. And so that would be my best advice is to really have a client relationship, not just a customer relationship. And if we can provide support and being in touch with clients, it might take a lot more energy to do that. But why not go after something and go, go at it with everything you've got, you know, either left or right, and not give up on that. But you will only be able to do that when you are very confident of, of the problem you are solving. Yes, so clarity is a, a very strong word coming out from that answer, which is so true and lovely. Thanks, Valerie, for sharing and all the best in the future for you. All the best to you all as well. Thank you. Certified speaking professional and national president Sam Silverstein shares his excitement as he gets ready to visit your brothers and sisters in our global speaking community. My suitcases are packed and I'm just hours from leaving for Australia, Malaysia and Singapore. I'm excited to be with speakers from those countries. A couple of weeks later, I'll be in South Africa for the Global Speakers Summit, visiting with speakers from all over the world. While I know that I'm going to have a great time, I know there will be some great food. No, Dale, I'm not expecting noodles. And I know that the education will be first rate. I also know that in all four countries, I will have the unique opportunity of visiting with other professional speakers as we share and help each other deal with the unique challenges that we face in our industry. Over the years, I have found that conventions don't cost. They pay. Yes, you have to get there, and you have to have a hotel room, and you have to pay for the meeting. But I always learn new things or find ways to apply what I already know but have been having a problem using. Or more importantly, I connect with people whom I can help and who can help me. I can point to specific business I've obtained and money I've made simply because I came to convention and got involved. My NSA membership has long been paid for. Anything good that has happened in my life, I can tie to a relationship. And when it comes to my speaking business, that relationship is usually with another speaker. I love my chapter meetings, and I always try to go when I'm in town. But the national meetings totally expand my reach in this industry. Sometimes I hear, I'm not going because I haven't implemented what I learned in prior years. Well, it doesn't sound like you have a learning problem. It sounds like you have an application issue. And why would you want to now apply what could be old information and ideas? 
Come get up to date and then do something with what you take away. I know that the NSA convention in July is going to offer incredible education and unparalleled opportunity to meet and connect with other professional speakers. Whether you are reconnecting with friends or meeting new people, the JW Marriott Desert Ridge in Phoenix will be the place to be in July from the 18th through the 21st. Just spending time in the Lazy River with other speakers will be worth the price of admission. Before you come to the convention, take the time to evaluate your business and career and determine what you need to grow and progress. Then, Look at the program online at nsaspeaker.org and figure out which education sessions will give you what you're looking for. I always go with a specific goal. Maybe it's to get my next book figured out. Maybe it's to work on my irresistible sales story. Or maybe it's just to meet the person that I need to meet to expand my reach. No matter what, I can't wait to see you in Phoenix. Hey, Camille, I'm out the door. Throw some shrimp on the barbie, pour me a Cole Foster's, and let's get one of those fantastic Aussie meat pies. I'll see you soon. And for everyone else, until next month, keep it real. Just as an aside, you'll be happy to know, in Sydney, we definitely helped Sam reach the next level. On his beer choices, that is. And through a bit of translation, he picked up some Aussie slang as well. Good on you, mate. Are you looking for tools to take you from a good year to a great career? Then don't miss the 2009 Foundation Seminar with Nito Cobain, CPAE-CSP, Lisa Ford, CPAE-CSP, and Mark Sanborn, CPAE-CSP, Saturday, July 18th from 9 a.m. to noon at the 2009 NSA Convention. To purchase your tickets, go to mynsa.org. In the personal dimension to branding, producer Leslie Everett ponders the importance of having an exit strategy. This is Leslie Everett. In this final segment for me on this series of BOE, I want to cover something just a little bit different, but actually that does encapsulate all of the elements that I've covered in this series around the personal dimension to branding. And that is, brand your business with the exit plan in mind. Now, what do I mean by that? Because you might say to me, well, Leslie, as a speaker, I don't need an exit plan. I don't plan to sell my business. It's all about me. But looking back over what I've done with the Walking Tool brand over the last few years, I've had a lot more clarity and focus by having an exit plan in mind. And it's brought me greater productivity and profitability, which is what we all need, of course, in this current climate. I can't claim to have had it planned clearly in advance, but looking back, I can see that the steps I've taken have actually reaped me the benefits right now. I learned lessons along the way, of course, as well, and didn't get it right first time. But I want to share you, with you some of the things that I did do right that have got my business to where it is today. Now, with having an exit plan, of course, we need to have some ideas and thoughts in, in place of where we want to be in seven years' time or ten years' time or whatever is appropriate to you. And if we were to sell our business, we would need to have very clear and proven value in the business and embedded value in our business. And that can mean things around having repeat contracts with clients, having your material and methodology embedded into their core management development programs, for example, repeat contracts, year-on-year -year contracts. That increases the value of our business. And of course, if we have that in mind now, it's going to bring us greater profitability right now. 
also it gives us some scalability. We need to think about how can the business be expanded. What do we need to have in place to make it scalable? And products, of course, are a key part of that. Never have they been more important for us as speakers. We can't earn what we need to right now in this climate just by speaking alone. We do need to have other stuff in place. And, of course, maybe thinking about products outside of the traditional things like books and CDs, maybe video-based materials and media, which are short and sharp that fit within the, the current climate. So the exit plan means having that clear vision and then building the embedded value to make it a valuable business, an attractive business to somebody who might want to, to, to buy it in the future. So what does this really give us? Well, what it's given me in Walking Tall is much more focus to my business. Now, I guess I'm not a lot different to a lot of you speakers out there in that we have great ideas. In fact, we probably have too many ideas often and we never get the time or have the resources to put them all into place. So I had no problem with ideas, but it's the focus on what were the important things to get in place. Now, with my exit plan in mind, I actually had much more focus and clarity on what I was trying to achieve, and it allowed me to focus on the, the projects that were important to meeting that exit plan objective. It actually gives you more structure to your methodology and your message as well. Because I sometimes think we stand on stage and we talk about our system and our stuff but do we clearly document it? What I decided to do with Walking Tall a few years ago was to license my training program so that other people could deliver this for me so I could focus more on speaking and effectively marketing the Walking Tall product and training service. And in order to have licensees, and I have licensees in the UK and in the US, I had to clearly document what the methodology was all about and how I wanted that delivered. And I can tell you that exercise alone gives you enormous clarity on what your message is and what the after effects of what you're trying to give your clients are. There's nothing, no better exercise than going through your methodology and documenting what it's all about, what are the core messages and how you'd like that delivered. It also gives you great consistency of brand, of course. Now, with the Walking Tool products for my training services, I have a well-branded participant guide. I have key cards with my key messages on. I have postcards and all sorts of tools that I use within the workshop. I even have giraffes that I use. And those of you who know the Walking Tall brand will know that the giraffe is synonymous with the brand. So it gives me great consistency and it gives a really well-packaged product range that can be delivered along with the, the training programs. Now, of course, that consistency of, of brand is memorable. It makes it remarkable. It makes it attractive for a potential buyer of your business. But, of course, the being memorable and attractive and remarkable right now gives you greater profitability within your business, which is what we all need. What happened to me three years ago, because the product was so well branded, it was attractive, it was picked up, people noticed it. I actually met a woman who I'm now joint venturing with, who is the managing director of a customer services training company. Now, this company has all of the infrastructure that I need to take the walking tall training product out to the mass market. I, like many of you, have not wanted to build a big business. I'm, the best use of my time is not in managing and recruiting staff, and I've never actually wanted to do that. But what I now have, because I have the exit plan in focus and in mind, 
and have a well-packaged product that was attractive and picked up by somebody. I now have the opportunity to tap into an infrastructure of 20-odd staff in sales and marketing and HR and legal and finance that will support my product and take it out to the mass market, not just in the UK, but globally. So I really believe that if we have a clear exit plan, a clear vision in mind, a clear mission of what we want to do with our business, whether we sell it or not in five, seven, ten years' time, it really gives us the clarity and the focus that we need right now in a tough climate, but also the results of that, of course, a greater productivity and profitability that we all strive for. Thank you, and I hope to see you soon. So this is Leslie Everett. Happy branding. And now we're going to move on to a little something extra. We hope you'll find, well, extreme. I'm sitting here with Brian Walter, and he Brian Walter's business is Extreme Meetings. Extreme Meetings, that's right. Yeah, so tell us, what does Extreme Meetings mean, Brian? Well, Extreme Meetings is our whole business approach. It's both the name of our company and our business approach, and that's customized infotainment to make corporate meetings truly memorable. Infotainment, you're talking about giving information in an entertaining way? Exactly, exactly. Uh, we are very careful not to bill ourselves as entertainers. Yes. Because uh, entertainers, they are a special breed of people who have a unique gift. Like you think of it in the corporate environment, when you're ready for an entertainer, it's usually in the evening, after they've had their dinner, they've had a few drinks, and their expectations are really high. Because mm -hmm. throughout the world, we have all these great talented people and we will measure this live performance against that so unless you can like juggle flaming bowling balls you might actually be disappointed because it's not as good as what I saw on television last night but it was okay so that's entertainment infotainment is completely different we're using the principles of entertainment but it's all about the information we do it during the day we're in the communication business now what are people's expectations if we don't do a bit of infotainment what are they going to experience a elderly executive spatting on pompously with PowerPoint. We can win that battle any day. We can be better than that. So people are so desperate for something engaging, and that's what we do with infotainment. Okay, engaging and fun. Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. So tell me a little bit about the how you put together the infotainment. How, mm -hmm. You know, I, I realize that you obviously have to customize because you are delivering a message mm -hmm. in an entertaining way. Yes, uh, uh, my particular business is all about customizing everything. Now, that's not going to be true for every speaker, of course. Mm -hmm. um, otherwise, that would just be a very scary, hard way to make a living. However, all speakers can benefit from customizing or at least personalizing their messages. So even though my business is more extreme, we still share that same need to customize for the client. Now your question is how to do that. I recommend that you always start with the pain. Yes. Start with the pain. Here's a question that you can ask yourself. What pain am I the aspirin for? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. What pain am I the aspirin for? Because then you're actually getting to client needs. Now you actually mentioned, and they have fun. I'm very careful to almost never say, and they'll have fun. Because what's the business value of fun? Now it's actually pie, right? But the perceived business value of fun is it's fluffy. Right. And if we have time, if we just happen to have scads of budget lying around doing nothing, sure, well, we, we can have some fun. But then they fall that. But seriously, we've had our fun. Now it's time to get to the important thing. You want to always align yourself with the important thing. So we ask, start with the pain. 
Okay, good. So you're the aspirin for the pain. Yep. yep. So how do you find out what the pain is? Great. You ask them some of the power questions. Mm -hmm. Now, if you ask them, what's the pain? What's the, what's the problem? They're not going to what I call spill. They're not going to just give you the good stuff right away. So you have to be a little more circumspect in how you get them to reveal it. So I've got the first of three power questions. And the first power question is, what do you want your employees to believe after this meeting that they didn't believe before? Good. And when you ask them this question, they sit back in their chair, they stroke their chin, they go, huh, because they weren't expecting it. They're ready to go to outcomes. Well, the outcomes are we want this and this and this. And pretty much they're all going to be the typical outcomes that you always get. But when you ask them, what do you want your employees to believe, they actually have to think about it. And they're going to have to go to a higher level place. So they're going, huh, oh, wow, God, and then something juicy always comes out, like, you know, if we could get employees to believe that this year will be better than last year, this will be great. If we can get our employees to believe that, that this new set of products is actually going to deliver better than the last set. If we could get the employees to believe that this new automated HR self-help system that looks incredibly complex isn't actually as scary as they think, then that would be great. And then you align yourself with that and you are golden from that point on. Okay. So if they come back and they say, well, we want them to believe that this year is going to be better than next year. Mm -hmm. If I put that to you, say I had a, a business and I brought you in to, to get my staff to believe that, what would you do? Well, first, I would keep going. I wouldn't stop with okay. the belief questionnaire, which is good because you're thinking, mm, that's great, it's a good start, but it doesn't quite get me where I need to go. Yes. So you follow up with the second question there, which is, like, let's say it was, uh, we want them to believe that this year is going to be better than last year. Then you say, it's like, okay, let's say I'm in the field. And I, of course, am inherently cynical because that's why I'm in the field. Why would I believe that this year? In other words, what are the proof points? And you actually compel them to give you proof points. And a lot of times they go right back to that. Huh. Um, yeah, proof points. Why should they believe that? And eventually they either will come up with stuff, in which case that's actionable information you can use to align your talk with. Or they can't actually come up with it. And they're like, oh, I, I can't um, come up with that. And then you get to be the more aggressive expert and say, well, then we're going to need to pick a different belief. Right. Or you can show them how they can believe it because of what you're bringing to the table. And then your value is even higher. They're like, oh, we, well, that's, <laughs> that's why you're here. Okay. Well, then that's a great value. You can say, well, let me tell you how they can believe it because I'm going to give you X, Y, and Z. At this point, how wonderful do they think you are? Mm -hmm. They think you're providing this value because you're helping me achieve this high-level belief, and I should probably double or triple your fee because look at all that value. <laughs> I love it. So you said three questions. Yes, yes. So you've got believe, mm -hmm. and then you got, you know, why should they believe it? And then it gets down to the, what do you want them to do differently? Now, if you say, what do you want them to do differently? You're going to get these pie in the sky, platitudinal type of things. But if you say, what do you want them to start doing differently starting on Monday? 
after the conference, assuming it's not Monday that the conference is. Mm -hmm. uh, Monday, and again, that forces them to higher level thinking. What are they going to do Monday? And then they start coming out with some platitudinal thing like, well, they're going to work more cooperatively as teams. And you say, is that a realistic expectation for Monday? And then, oh, well, yes. It's like, well, how will we know then that they're doing it differently? So you force them into specifics, and then this is how it comes up what matters, what's possible, what's realistic. And again, it shows you things and say, well, let, great, well, let me show you how my presentation will do exactly that. And again, this is all affirming why they hired you in the first place, or if this is a pre-hire conversation, why they should hire you. In the moment, mm -hmm. with the team, with the group, with could be 600, could be 6,000. Mm -hmm. And I noticed from your website that obviously interaction is huge. It's yep, a yep. very big part of what you do. Mm -hmm. So give us a couple of tips on how we can, as speakers, boost interaction or engagement. When we're out there with our Absolutely. audience the members. Inter interaction actually comes from two parts. First is preparation, then the format of interaction. Because you want to be real. You want them to perceive that, man, you get us. And then they're going to be more likely to do the interactive type of things. But the, the first thing is the research itself. So the recommendation how to do that is you want to have at least three conversations with representative people in the, in the audience. And people are like, yeah, 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 Ugh, we do that all the time. Well, actually, normally I do that with my pre-program questionnaire. Pre-program questionnaire will never get you the good stuff. That's going to be delegated to the lowest person that the meeting planner can slough it off to. Mm -hmm. So you're going to get like the college intern who's right. working for the company to give you, here's our annual figures, here are three high-level issues facing our organization at this particular time, and you know, none of that's real stuff. The real stuff is going to come from talking to the people. And here's the way you do that. You start with, what's a typical day? For you, and you have them walk through their stuff. You're not really paying attention. This is just to warm them up. Sure. And then you say, "What's a great day look like?" You're only marginally paying attention during this part here. And then you say, "What would be an awesome, incredible, perfect day? Oh my gosh! If only every day at my work life could be like this." Then you write down what they say. Then they're going to be like, well, what would be great is if this happened and then we got a triple contract and this person called it. You're going to see what do these th people think is awesome. Right. Then you do the corollary. You do the flip side. You say, what's a, what's a not so good day? What's a bad day like? And again, only really paying attention a little bit. And then you say, what is the day from hell? What is the worst possible day? And then they give you all the things that drive them crazy. So now you know, you can align any interactive exercise that you want to do with this. Great. And pull both of those in. And pull both of those in yeah. because then they're going to be thinking either, you know, how do they know that? And they're just bought into you. Or sometimes they'll think, Wait, is, is this an outside speaker? I mean, does, does, she, does she actually work here? Mm -hmm. And that's when you know you've arrived when people come by and they say, no, seriously, how long have you been working for us? Yes. Oh, so, well, actually, I'm, I'm an outside speaker. Yeah, yeah, I know, but, but you've obviously worked with, I mean, which branch did you work at? Okay, I'm going to interview you. You're completely anonymous. No one will know what you've told me, and I'm like a priest. This is a confessional. Everything you tell me stays here as far as who gave me that information. Right. Then they laugh nervously, <laughs> and then they just start giving you the goods. Humor, though, doesn't work for everyone. Mm -hmm. 
Do you think that regardless of topic, there can be humor or do you think that there's some topics that you shouldn't be, I understand for you particularly, but I'm saying for our listeners, there are people there who would love to be able to put humor in, but they're thinking, I can't tell a joke or... Jokes put you in the realm of entertainment, whereas observational humor puts you in the role of infotainment. And the great thing is that if you're telling the truth, we call it naming the pain, because observational humor is all about naming the pain and also just calling out like this is great this is not great if it's all about them you don't have to be that funny because they will supply the energy to be for you to even be slightly funny uh... there is a great phrase it's the first phrase i learned when i came to nsa in nineteen ninety seven and it was a senior person saying this from the platform in the speaking business you don't have to be funny unless you want to get paid i've heard that and i thought and over the last 10 years, I've learned how true that is. Now, that's not comedian laugh riot. What it means is that you're an outside speaker. You've been brought in to take them for a ride. If they wanted a straight PowerPoint informational thing, they got plenty of subject matter experts to do that. They want you to take them someplace. And they want their emotions to be hooked and engaged. And humor is part of what does that. But they're really just looking for a reaction. As far as are there, is it appropriate for all topics, I really don't think there is a single topic on the planet that any international person could speak in any subject that can't be done with some humor. And people are like, oh, come on here, I speak to the healthcare, I talk about you know, cancer with children. Yeah, go there. Well, I couldn't do that, but that's not my topic. Now, if I was a, a healthcare professional and I could tell you, you know, the most amazing things that these kids tell me, I come up and I'm about to give them chemotherapy and you know what they say? They say, blah, blah, blah. And then we laugh because they said it. death, taxes. It's like, what do almost all of us do at wakes or funerals? We tell stories and we start telling humorous stories. And then Mary, bless her heart, she just told that bank auditor that he could put that audit you know, and we all, oh, that's so hurt. Oh. And then it gives us the release. That's true. Well, if we can do that with funerals, then I don't think there's any subject that's too boring that couldn't be lightened up with yeah. humor. Your website, I noticed, is very uh, simple, you know, very mm -hmm. simply laid out. You didn't have lots of whiz-bang features or anything. Mm -hmm. Any reason in particular for that? I mean, I guess everyone thinks, oh, they need to have this and that. And uh, I was talking with an NSA colleague of mine, Bill Staten, and he was talking with a kind of a web guru person, and he was just about to spend a huge amount of money to completely make a new whiz-bang site. Now, I'm sure he's still going to enhance it. Um, but he met with a client, and they said, oh, I really liked your website. It was so simple to understand. All they want to do is they want to go over there, really see some sizzle, and so I use pictures. Pictures, moving pictures is sizzle. I want them to be able to click and be able to stream my demo video in the moment, and I want them also to be able to click to download my demo video. I want them to see what a definition of extreme meetings is and the core thing of what I offer. Everything else is fluff. So tell me about a time that you stuffed up, that you bombed. People love interaction. People like to see someone else come up on stage and do stuff that's edgy and risky. Early on, I heard you should never embarrass someone been on stage, but you don't want to be boring either. And so I was working with a client and they were talking about shrinkage goals. Shrinkage goals, I mean, what percentage of goods in a retail store is, you know, missed through paperwork or theft or whatever. And they had a shrinkage goal. So I actually had a puppet 
that I was using interviewing, it was like a wolf character and he's taking a bite out of shrinkage type of thing. And so I had randomly three people come up here and I knew they would panic in the moment. And so one by one I said, what is the big bad shrinkage goal that we've been talking about this whole campaign for three months here? What exactly is that exact percentage goal? And I knew that they would muff it. And, uh, oh, uh, is it uh, 2.1? Wrong! It's not 2.1. Okay, the wolf, you can either scratch behind his ears or he has to bite your hand. And the audience like, ah, oh, ha, 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 they did that. Next person, okay, what's the goal? Um, is it uh, 2.3? No, it's wrong! And the audience says, woo! Yeah. Okay, that, that, that did it for the third person here. And I made a point, you know, as a company, it's like, now don't blame these people. If I brought you up here, you you would forget too. And I'm thinking this is all good. And they started, I'll thank a big round of applause for people we put on the spot. It's so unfair to do that. Da, da, da. And they're walking by and the third person turned away from the audience and looked at me and said, I will get you for this. Ooh. And I went, and I'm thinking, oh, come on, lighten up, have some. I'm thinking in my head, thin skin, come on. And then I thought, in front of the CEO of the company, in front of their boss, in front of their, all their peers, I put them in a place where they didn't know and they felt foolish. And I crossed the line. I thought, ah, I, I went too far. But then I started thinking, but you know, but the audience still wants it to be edgy. So I had to develop the technique of how do you get people to give you permission to do anything they want and risk and be wrong because to not have risk is also a problem. So it's the, the money solution. Basically, if you say, it's like, okay, I've, uh, I need three volunteers who could come up here and do something that's possibly embarrassing. Oh, oh, I probably shouldn't have said that last part here. Any volunteers? Anyone? 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 Well, of course, no one's going to volunteer. Then you say, I thought that was the case. So here's the deal. Um, I have a $50 bill, a 50 euro bill, a, you know, whatever your currency is. I have a $50 bill here, and who'd like to earn some money here and uh, try and answer my questions? You'll be trampled with volunteers. They have now given you license, given you permission to do anything short of making them sing or disrobe. Other than those two things, you can do anything to them. You can ask those edgy questions. You can put them on the spot. They can get risk to be wrong because they're doing it for the money. Mm, so they've given permission. They've given you permission. Yes. So whenever I want someone to do something really risky, I do the, the money thing. Now, you can also do a prize. You can do the, the possible prize, which is that, okay, we need some volunteers to do some possibly edgy stuff here on stage with me here, and you'll get a fabulous prize. Now, when I say fabulous, I mean fabulous with a small f. <laughs> It could actually be worthless, but come on, who, who would like to get that possibly great or possibly incredibly stupid prize? They're giving you permission when they do that. And that's where you can risk and you can do the edgy things. Cheers. That was great. All right, cool. Thanks. It's been amazing traveling the many lands of smart with certified speaking professional, Glenn Capelli. Here he is with his final segment. My magic brain. Hello, this is Glenn Capelli presenting on the wonderful creativity in design and presentation skills. It's been my joy to be looking at the many lands of smart, the wonderful work of Professor Howard Gardner, and I'd like to revise the model in this, my final VOE presentation. Think of these seven natural things. Imagine them in your brain, memorise them. A cloud, a mountain, a cave, C-A-V-E, a cave, a valley, a river, some fields, F-I-E-L-D-S, some fields, and sunshine. So we have seven natural things, starting with a cloud and ending with sunshine. Now let's associate seven of the intelligences that Professor Howard Gardner originally spoke of in his Multiple Intelligences model, what we call the many lands of smart.
The cloud represents music. So as soon as you think of the cloud, think of music. Think of, hey, hey, get off of my cloud by the Rolling Stones. Think of a symphony and an orchestra up there. In your design and presentation, you have musical smarts to play with. The rhythm of your presentation. The mountain represents the physical body. How you use your physical body, how you use sign language or don't, how you get your audience to use their physical body to represent learning. Some people, the physicality of learning is their primary learning method. Then we have the cave, the intrapersonal, to look within your own heart, to deeply explore your own self. A lot of what we do, we do alone. And we need to be strong in who we are, to stand on our own feet and have a great respect for ourselves and a respect for those others that are represented by the valley. People congregate in valleys. People of different shapes and sizes and colours and ages and different learning styles. When we use the valley, we understand learning styles and empathy to reach and respect the people of the valley, the diversity of every audience in front of us. The river that flows through the valley is the river of Babylon. It babbles in a variety of languages. How we use the gift of words. How we use our rap and rhyme and rhythm in speech. How we utilise an etymology, the origin of words and what it can bring to people and what it can bring to their learning. Beside the river we have the fields. The fields are in rows and in squares and they're representing the logical mathematical intelligence that Professor Gardner talked of. How do you use your mathematical logical intelligence in designing your presentation? If it's a 45 minute, how does it hit 45 minutes and yet seems so natural within that time period? Not 46, not 43. How do you weave the different types of learning styles so that there's a depth in the presentation? And then we have the sunshine. Picture the big V in the sun for visual intelligence. When you memorise seven natural things, or if you were to draw those seven natural things and then blend the seven natural intelligences into them, it's utilising the visual. How do you paint pictures in the minds of your audience? How does every slide that you've got represent a unique creativity? so that it doesn't look like other people's slides. It brings your artistry to your presentation and helps your audience discover the artistry inside of them. The seven natural intelligences, all natural things, and Gardner talked of the eighth natural intelligence being the natural one, to honour nature, to learn from the ecology of a presentation, to chumba-wumba, to mix things together, we talk about getting a, a, a blend and a mix and a layering in, in every presentation. The mix of a variety of ingredients of learning styles. To blend them so they're just right and they don't seem convoluted or they don't seem artificial. It naturally sits for the audience. And to layer your learning so there's depth after depth after depth. Have a blend of the wonder of humour with the wonder of deep learning so people carry away take-home actions. When I present... When I teach people about presentation, I introduce them to Thotpu, T-H-O-T-P-U, Thotpu, 
the, the head of the parallel universe, the patron saint of professional speakers. And Thotpu demands of each of us to stretch beyond our own strengths and to tap into some intelligences that we may not be using when we present. Have a go at using musical rhythm if you're not using musical rhythm. Have a shot at being able to redesign wonderful visuals into your slides. Stretch beyond yourself to help your audience. Paul Erdos is a Hungarian mathematician, and I pr- apologise to the Hungarian background people for my accent on Erdos, but E-R-D-O-S, Paul Erdos, long left the planet, but the most published mathematician on the planet. And if you published a paper with Paul Erdos, you had a number one relationship with him. I want it to be the same with professional speakers. When we present on stage together at conferences, we get a number one relationship with each other. If we're presented ten times together, it's a one-ten relationship. Let's build our relationships. Let's explore the exchange of methodologies so that we grow our own neurons and our synaptic connections of these wonderful many lands of smarts. It's been my honour to share some of the many lands of smart with you, to share some of these VOE experiences with my teammates and colleagues. I look forward to speaking with you you at conferences perhaps around the planet. Glenn Capelli, G-L-E-N-N-C-A-P-E-L-L-I at glencapelli.com or you can find me on Facebook or Twitter or any of those things. And let's connect and find each other and share our experiences. And let's be teammates on these world stages to help the people discover the talent within them, to discover their many lands of smarts. Enjoy your magic brains, and thank you for this honour. Hi, this is Sarah Michelle, 2009 NSA Convention Chair. I want to give you a little tease of some of the ways we're going to deliver on education and community July 18th to the 22nd in Phoenix, Arizona at the award-winning Marriott Resort and Spa. The general session lineup is amazing this year, and you're going to see more main stage professional speakers than we've ever had at a convention. Vince Posetti, CSP, CPAE, and the Passing Zone, three of the busiest and most talked about members in our industry, are kicking off the convention on Saturday night. Sunday morning, we're so excited to debut the Real Rally, which is our version of the famous TED Conference. We'll feature nine different, diverse, international speakers, each sharing a thought-provoking idea or a new perspective on the speaking business. And just like TED does it, each speaker will have 15 to 18 minutes to present. You'll come away from that morning with nine different challenges, ideas, to make you look at your speaking business a little differently. On Monday, we'll be addressing the big elephant in the room this July, the economy. Kim Snyder, an NSA member and highly regarded financial analyst, will help us all see the opportunities that are out there right now for speakers to jump on. And Joe Malarkey will help us keep it real with his award-winning, unique, tongue-in-cheek humor. Nando Prado from South America will be sharing his motivational, inspirational story of survival from his book and Hollywood movie, Miracle in the Andes. And on Tuesday, Linda Larson, CSP, and Humorous will tickle your funny bone while Steve Spangler, CSP, will close the convention with his unique, award-winning, creative, and innovative program that has made him a regular on The Ellen Show. To help you build more connections, widen your network, 
and build more community. We have several unique features this year, like a networking lunch on Sunday and, drumroll please, breakfast is back at convention this year. No more standing along Starbucks lines to pay for a $5 cup of coffee and a $3 bagel. Meet with your mastermind, peg members, or new friends you've just met at breakfast to help you get the most ROI from convention. We've added some really cool hands-on implementation sessions on Monday and Tuesday afternoon, like a business implementation station, story coaching, hands-on social marketing help, and open space. Also, all the PEG groups in NSA will be sponsoring concurrent sessions, which are going to be amazing this year, that focus on their expertise, and these sessions are open to anyone and offered during the normal convention schedule. So you no longer have to fly in early and incur an extra hotel night just to hang with your peeps. And if you've never joined a PEG or you've always wanted to check one out, this is the time to do that because you can shop for free and see if it's a community you want to be a part of. If it is, you can sign up at the end of the session. And lastly, on Monday night, the traditional free night, we encourage you to go out for dinner with your community or social group and come on back for the first-ever dive-in movie night out at the award-winning Marriott Resort and Spa Pool under the stars for a really fun evening. Our sessions, our concurrent sessions, are be looking for a great convention planning tool that's coming out to help you really plan for how to get the most ROI out of your convention. This year in this economy, the serious speakers will be coming together in July to talk about how to position your business to move forward and actually take advantage of the opportunities that are out there. We really hope you will be one of those speakers committed to boosting your business. If you are, we promise real education, real community, and real learning. July 18th to the 21st at JW Marriott Resort and Spa in Phoenix, Arizona. Can't wait to see you in July. From where I stand on the platform, as an association member, chapter meetings, association conventions, and events are where my brain gorges. So much so, I occasionally require a nana nap afterwards. I'm still savoring a question posed by Dr. Stephanie Burns, keynote speaker at the recent National Speakers Association of Australia's powwow in Sydney. She remarked, in order to get people to pay to see you again versus the one-time gig, answer this question your client is probably thinking, what do you know now since we last saw you? To be inspiring, we must remain inspired because the rewards come from what we do back of stage, not front of stage. Glenn Capelli shared a few creative ways to get inspired in his April VOE segment. As for me, I'll be gorging again, this time in Phoenix, along with a big margarita. With salt, thanks. The VOE team is pleased you tuned in. I'm Camille Valvo, reminding you to keep it real. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.